Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Today we're wrapping up what's been an amazing series called Disciple. And we learned that this year the word for Christ Fellowship is actually disciple. We've learned that a disciple is someone who's committed to following Jesus through the good and the bad. It's not just a, a fan of Jesus. It's someone who's, who's committed to living out the life of a follower of Jesus. And Pastor Carlos actually highlighted four marks of what a, uh, an actual disciple is, what it looks like. So I just want to highlight those four marks just to remind us. And it should pop up right behind me too. But the first one is a disciple is a dedicated learner. So that person is committed to learning more about God. Secondly, the disciple is an absolute, I'm sorry, has absolute obedience. So they're committed to obeying all of God's ways. A disciple bears spiritual fruit. They're committed to allowing God to transform their heart. And the fourth one makes disciples. So they're committed to sharing Jesus with others. And that's the one that we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on what it means to make disciples, to be committed to sharing Jesus with others. See, you might be the only Bible people get to read. There's a world of people around you that are lost, that don't know Jesus, and they never will unless someone tells them. They never will unless someone tells them. I know this could sound encouraging and discouraging at the same time. It's encouraging because it's like, it makes you feel good. And you know what? I want to share my faith about Jesus Christ with other people. But then at the same time, it's intimidating. Why is it intimidating? It's discouraging. Because then you realize, wait, I actually have to talk to people about my faith in Jesus Christ. I know that's awkward. Listen, I get it. I work in a public school. You're not supposed to talk about religion at all. It's, a, it's like taboo. It's not even, you're not supposed to go there. So it's, it's very awkward, especially if someone brings it up in class. It feels out of place. I get it. But consider this. What if no one ever talked to you about Jesus? Like you're sitting here, right? What if no one ever talked to you about Jesus? Think about the person that actually reached out to you and introduced Jesus to you. Think about what they did or what they said. How is it that they showed you what walking with Jesus is? Or what that looks like? Think about that person. And as a matter of fact, can you do me a favor? Just take a few seconds to tell someone next to you who that person was, or maybe it was more than one person, I don't know. For me, it was a few people. Maybe uh, just tell that person, uh, whoever's next to you, who that person was and what they did. What was it that they did that introduced Jesus to you? I'll give you about a minute to do so. Go ahead. All right. So do me a favor. As you're wrapping up, raise your hand if the person that introduced, you, introduced Jesus to you was a family member. Raise your hand if it was a family member. All right, we have a lot of good family members here. All right, thank God for them. Raise your hand now. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Raise your hand if it wasn't blood-related. It was a friend, just a friend that introduced Jesus to you. All right, we have some good friends here. Okay, excellent. What if, what, how about if it was a co-worker? Raise your hand if it was a co-worker. Like, it wasn't blood. It was a, it was a co-worker. Right, we have a couple good co-workers that, that reached out to you guys. Now, check. how about this one? This one I'm, I'm really interested in. Raise your hand if it was someone that you didn't really even know, like maybe someone you met in a doctor's office or, I don't know, someone, a, a neighbor that lives five houses down. Listen, we don't even know the neighbor right next door. So five houses down is like somebody you don't even know at all. So raise your hand if it was someone like that. Okay, one, two, three, four. Oh, wow. A lot of friendly people around your neighborhood. Excellent. Look at that. So for me, it was actually really different. I had three people that I have to give credit to. 
there were three people in my, my life that really introduced Jesus to me. Number one was my dad. Then it was my, my grandmother from my dad's side. And then my grandmother from my mother's side. Three people. And obviously there are a lot of, a lot of people that influenced me growing up that showed Jesus to me. But those are the people that I would have to say made the foundation for my faith in Jesus. So my grandmother from my father's side, Abuela Felicia, uh, I used to sleep over her house all the time. So I knew sleeping over her house meant going to church at least once that weekend, sometimes twice. And listen, this wasn't an hour and a half service. This wasn't Christ Fellowship, people, all right? This was a I'm lying down the floor and going to sleep type of service, like slain by the Spirit type of service. You went to service, it was p.m., you left service, it was a.m., that kind of service. See, a lot of you guys don't know about that, but that's what, that's what we had. That's, you know, that was at Wella Felicia's church. So she told me about Jesus. I remember being in her kitchen, and she would just make me, actually, we would read the Bible together in Spanish. Now, that's all she knew, so I had to learn how to read Spanish too. And she taught me how to pray for everything. Like everything, we prayed for everything. You know, she really planted seeds in my life at a young age. And I'm so grateful, eternally grateful for that. Eternally grateful. The other person is actually my grandmother, Mima. That's my mom's mom. So Mima used to tell me all these amazing stories from the Bible. Like she would just, I don't know, man. She would just storytell so beautifully and paint that picture of what the Bible stories really, you know, it made them come to life. And she would actually share her story of how she came to Christ. I remember hearing about that. I remember hearing about the dreams and visions that she would receive from God. That impacted me. I couldn't believe the things she told me. That was, I'll never forget those things. It's amazing. And then my dad. So my dad, um, he started going back to church when I was in middle school. But I, there was a point in time where I stopped sleeping over my grandmother's house once I got a little older. And I pretty much stopped going to church altogether. Once my dad started going back to church, he would invite me. He didn't, like, force me to go, but I love that. He would invite me. And sometimes I'd go, sometimes I didn't go. Eventually, you know, I started to go more and more to the point where I was going on a regular basis. And eventually, I fell in love with Jesus for myself. And I never turned back since. But I wonder, what if they didn't do that? Like, what if my grandmother didn't share Jesus with me? What if she didn't take me to church with her? What if she didn't sit me down in a kitchen and read the Bible with her? What if she didn't teach me how to pray for everything? What if Mima didn't share those stories with me? She didn't tell me those Bible stories. What if she didn't tell me what uh, uh, accepting Jesus into her life and transforming her life was like? What if she never told me about those dreams and visions that she had from God? What if my dad never invited me to church? What if he never became that example of what a true disciple of Jesus looked like for me? How about you? What if the person that introduced you to Jesus, the person you just mentioned, what if they never introduced Jesus to you? What if that family member or that friend or that coworker or that, neighbor, that friendly neighbor or that person you don't really know, what if they never spoke to you about Jesus? What if they figured, you know what, I prefer to just avoid the awkwardness of, ch of sharing my faith with this person. What, where would you be with God? Would you know Jesus? Would you know Jesus right now? How frustrating would it be to know that they should have spoken to you about Jesus, but never did? How frustrating would that be? How about you? Think of the people that are in your circle, in your life, in your, 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 your circle of influence. How many of them need to know Jesus and don't? Are you willing to do for them what someone's already done for you? 
shared the truth of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that? See, that's the heart of God. God's desire is for everyone to know him. His desire is for every single person to know him. And the only way to know the Father is through the Son, Jesus. In the, verse, uh, in, in the book of John, verse 14, verse 6, it actually says, Jesus answered them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's clear as day in the Bible. No one can get to know the Father except through Jesus. It's super clear. And yet for some reason, the world doesn't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand this is the only way you can get to know God. This is the only way. See, this is the heart of God, and it's also the heart of the disciple. The heart of the disciple is to help people get to know who Father God is, to connect them to Jesus. It's not only the heart of the disciple. It's actually a command. It's actually the responsibility of the disciple. See, Jesus actually says this in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. And if you want to turn to it, it's Matthew 28, starting on verse 16. You can turn to it, open up your Bible, go to your app, or you can just wait till it pops up behind. That was fast. Great for you guys. Thank you. So um, as, you know, you're getting set up or whatever, I want, you to give, I want to give you a little idea of what this is about. So Jesus at this time was talking to his disciples, and his, this is after he resurrected. So he died. And by the power of God, came back to life. And he spent 40 days with them. Imagine how amazing that was. Like, imagine, Jesus died. You knew he died. He came back to life. And then you're hanging out with this guy for 40 days. That's amazing. And he's just talking with them. He's sharing life with them. And then one of the last things that he actually says to them was, actually, it was probably very, the very last thing that he said to them was this. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus wasn't making a recommendation. He wasn't saying, oh, this is a good thing you might want to do. No, it was a command. He was telling his disciples, his followers, those who were committed to him, to spread the news, the gospel, the truth of Jesus to all nations. He was saying, this is what you're going to do. If you are a disciple, this is what you do. You might be sitting here and thinking, you know what, Joel, that's not my calling, though. That's not for me. Like, that's for people that have the gift of evangelism. They have the personality to be able to share their faith with people without a problem. They're really good at inviting people to church. That's not me. That's not me. I'm sorry. If you're thinking that, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's for everyone. Yeah, you're right. There are some people that, that just do it naturally. They have the gift of just, of just sharing their faith without a problem. They have this charisma and this influence where people listen to them and they gravitate towards them no matter what they're saying. So it's easy for them to draw people to church. It's easy for them to draw people to Jesus by what they're saying. But that doesn't shake the responsibility off of you. It doesn't shake it. And yet for some reason, for some reason, even though it was a command from Jesus... A lot of times, we think that it's not for us. See, Jesus didn't just say it to a couple of his disciples. He didn't just pull John and Peter to the side and say, hey, listen, you two are going to do this for me. Only you two. No, he said it to all his disciples. That included the disciples that were outgoing, and that included those that were introverted. That included those that felt like they knew the Bible inside out, and those that felt like they didn't know the Bible at all. 
That included those that were bold enough to do it and those that weren't bold enough to do it. It included everyone. Those who had that natural influence and charisma and those that didn't have any. It was for all the disciples. So now we get to the question. And the question is, do you share Jesus? Do you share Jesus? Is sharing Jesus a part of your life? Is this something you think about? Is it even in your thought process? Do you think about it on a daily basis? Do you think about it on a weekly basis? Once a month? Once in a while? How often do you have in the front of your mind the responsibility of sharing Jesus? See, I know there are a lot of reasons why we don't do it. I mean, you know the reasons why we don't do it. You know, other responsibilities come into play. Sometimes in situations it can be awkward, it can be difficult, it can be embarrassing, you get persecuted. Listen, you get made fun of, I know what that is. People look at you like you're the funny guy now, you're the funny girl, like, oh, the hallelujah's coming now. You know, I get it. There are a lot of things that keep you from doing it. You know what it is that keeps you from doing it. I know what it is. It could be fear, it could be worry, it could just be the busyness of life. But I want to do something today. If you just follow me for a second, I want to do something today. Let's not focus on why we don't do it. Let's not focus on why we don't share Jesus, because we already know that. I think we all get that already. Instead of focusing on why we don't share Jesus, I want us to focus on why we should share Jesus more. Why we should share Jesus more. And I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start with this statement. Ready? Heaven is real. And so is hell. Heaven is very real. And so is hell. I want you to do something. I want you to ask yourself this question. And please, keep the response to yourself. Keep it in your mind. Don't say it out loud. Don't whisper it for the person next to you to hear it. I want, you to be, I want it to be completely private. Ask yourself this question. Even pray it if you have to. Do I really, really, really believe that someone who has a relationship with Jesus, after they die, they're going to heaven? Don't say it out loud. Keep it to yourself. Do I truly, truly believe that after a believer of Jesus dies, they're going to this place that I can't see here on this earth, and they're going to spend an eternity with God in God's presence forever? Do I really, really believe that? Because I wonder if we truly, truly believed it, I wonder if that would motivate us a little bit more. So think about it. Do you really, really believe it? Now, I hope you said yes. I really do. Um, if you didn't say yes, this next one's going to be a whole lot harder to, to process. Because the next one, I want you to do the same thing. But now you're asking yourself this. Do I really, really believe that those who don't know Jesus, those who are not following Jesus, are going to hell? Do I truly believe that those who do not have a relationship with God through Jesus are going to hell? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that there's a place where after a person dies, if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're going to be eternally separated from God? See, a lot of people think this earth is hell. Let me tell you, this earth isn't hell. You know what hell is? It's complete separation from God. That means there is no good, no God. Here, as, as far as you might be from God in this world, God is still in the midst. God is still in the works. 
You still have good things happening in your life, whether you believe God or not. You still have clothes on your back. You still have food to eat. You're still alive. You still know what love is. Hell is the absence of all of that because it's the absence of God. Do you really believe that? Do you really do? Do you really uh, believe it? See, this is as honest as you can be with your faith. It's as honest as you can be with your faith. I think that's the realest question you can ask yourself as, as someone who believes in Jesus. See, I don't think God sent Jesus down to earth to become human and die on a cross for something that wasn't extremely important. It had to be extremely important for Jesus to do that. I don't think Jesus came down. I don't think God went through all that for something that didn't last forever. It had to be for something that lasted forever. I don't think Jesus did that just so that we can feel good about ourselves and, and be happy while we're here on earth. Just so we can have something to do Sunday mornings and sing nice songs to God. No. God, Jesus did that because he knew that eternity was at stake. He knew that eternity was at stake. That's why Jesus did it. Now, I know. I know that there must be some people here that don't believe in heaven and hell. And I get it. Listen, I respect your, your thought process. I know like, that it's, it's, it requires faith. It requires believing in something that you don't see. That's what faith is. It's believing in something that you can't see. Now, I want you to believe it. I believe it with all my heart. That's why I'm up here. If I didn't believe that, I would not be up here. I believe it with all my heart that after this life, everyone is either going to heaven or to hell. Now, I get you, you might be, you know, you might not believe that yourself, but let me tell you this. Let me just, I don't know, give you a little, a little thought, a little food for thought. If this is it, if there is no God, if there is no heaven, if there is no hell, if life on earth is it, isn't that empty? Isn't that like utterly empty? I mean, I don't mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say believe in the Bible just so you don't feel like life is empty, but I'm saying be honest. If this is it, if there is no God, isn't life completely empty? There's no justice for the horrors of this world. You turn on the news, all you see is horror. If there's no God, there's no justice for that. There's no true meaning for all the lifelong suffering that people go through. Everyone knows what suffering is, some way more than others. Without God, there's no true meaning for why that, why that happens. There's no true justice for that. Without God, there's no purpose to why you're even alive to begin with. There's no purpose to why you exist other than the purpose that you try to make up for yourself. To me, if there's no God, life is completely empty. But if, if you don't believe in that, I understand. I respect it. However, if you're a Christian, if you're a professing Christian, even more so, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is what you believe. That heaven is very real. And so is hell. The Bible says it really clearly. So I want us to actually read that a little bit. And there are some verses that are going to pop up behind me. And you don't have to look them up because there are a few of them that I'm going to like just shoot at really fast. But I want to kind of paint the picture of what the Bible says. Just so you see that Joel's not making this up. No one's making this up. This is straight from the Bible that we believe as Christians. So I'm going to start with heaven because heaven is a lot easier to hear. right? So we'll talk about heaven first. We'll start with that one. And the first one is in the book of Revelation. And it says, they will be his people. Um, I'll skip. All right. So, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
for the old order of things has passed away. That's the very thing that we all long for. I mean, Christian or not, everyone longs for and desires like something better. Everyone longs for a perfect world with no more pain, no more misery, no more suffering. That's exactly what heaven is going to be. In the presence of God, none of that exists. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. The next one, John 14, 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? He's talking to, to his disciples there. And he's saying, listen, you're gonna, I'm preparing a place for you in the presence of God. The next one. In this next verse, Jesus is actually talking to a thief that's being crucified right next to him. So this is a thief that's dying for his sins, for his own sins, because he's committed crimes. And look at what Jesus says to him. He says, Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 2,000 years ago, a thief on a cross entered into paradise with Jesus. He's been in the presence of God for the last 2,000 years of earthly life, right? And the last one for those that need the word heaven, because I know up until now you didn't see the word heaven. Paradise, you're like, oh, I don't know, Joel. Heaven, heaven's in this one, ready? Luke 10, it says, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Heaven is very real, and so is hell. These next few verses aren't going to be as easy to hear. So now hell, right? Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And Matthew 25, verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And then the last one, Second Thessalonians, he will punish those. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's what, hell, that's what hell is, right? It's being completely shut out from the presence of God. You have no access to God's presence. None whatsoever. The heart of God is for the lost. And that's the heart of the disciple too. See, I don't read this to scare you. I don't read this to scare you. I mean, it should scare you. It should flat out terrify you. You think life on earth is hard. Imagine an eternity apart from God. Imagine an eternity in hell, in the absence of God. But I don't say this to scare you. As a matter of fact, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to be afraid of, nothing whatsoever. What Jesus did on that cross completely covers all your blame and guilt and sin. There's nothing, as a believer of Jesus Christ, you should have to be worried about. We, we actually should never be scared of eternity. That's what we rejoice in. Our joy is in eternity to know that there's a place after I die that I'm going to spend in the presence of God forever. A place where there's no mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more death, there's no more abuse, there's no more jealousy, there's no more anger, there's no more pride. A place where there's no more abuse. Imagine this place where none of that exists. It's completely out of sight. It no longer exists because it cannot be in the presence of God. Imagine being there. That's a joy. There's nothing to be afraid of as a Christian when you think of eternity. Not at all. No, you shouldn't be afraid when you hear hell. If you know Jesus, hell shouldn't scare you. It should make you broken. Hell shouldn't scare you. It should make you broken. It should make you broken to know that there are people all around you 
that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that don't follow Jesus, and after they die, they're going to hell. They're lost. They don't have the assurance that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. God's heart is for them. God's heart is for them to know him. He desires for the lost to know him through Jesus. That's the disciples' heart as well, to connect the lost to Jesus. Watch this video, I think, really paints the picture a little bit more. Here I am, Lord. I don't want to walk by myself and pack on a burden I'm not required to carry. I want to do this in your power, your strength, because honestly, I love you. So I'm asking, how do I do this? How do I overcome my fears and reach out to my neighbor? How do I evangelize in my sphere of influence? I'm willing. I mean, if Tom needs a truck to move, he can use mine. Cheryl's patio is falling down. I've got a bunch of tools. I'll build her a new one. I'll spring for the lumber. Or if Jack still wants to visit Aunt Betty in North Dakota, I'll buy him a ticket. I want to love them, and not just with words, but action. You say you've come to seek and to save the lost to give them life and life to the full. And I've tasted that, so I pray for your life to be part of their life. And I pray that I could play a part of giving that. This neighborhood, this community, it's my mission field, right? But I don't know where else to begin, so I'm praying here. I want to serve you with my entire life. So here I am, Lord. Send me. The disciples' heart is for the lost. But who are they? Who are the lost? The lost could be your family member, your friend, your co-worker, your neighbor, the person you see in Dunkin' Donuts every morning and you spend those $5. The lost could be anyone that doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus. It could be someone you see every single day on the bus. It can be your co-worker that's right next to you every single day of your life. Anyone who does not know Jesus. See, we can't go by appearance. A lot of the times we look at a person and we think, that person has, a, has everything together. That person has a good life. Their family is good. They make a lot of right choices. They make good money. They, I think they got better things going on than me sometimes. We can't look about at the outside appearance. With those people, we usually just put them to the side. We save talking to, to Jesus to those that have a lot of wrong things going on. We look at the ones that are struggling with stuff, and we say, okay, I'm going to talk to this person about Jesus. And don't get me wrong, that's obviously a good time to talk to them about Jesus. You could easily say, listen, all you're going through, Jesus can fix that. I know a guy. But we look at that, and we only look at the people that are, are, that are, are struggling with things as if they're the only ones that need Jesus. When in reality, the lost aren't lost because they, they don't have a better life. 
a lost, the lost are lost because it's an eternal loss. It's something that they're missing eternally. It's not like the person who has a lot of good things going on are okay and the person that's struggling with a lot of things are, are not okay. No. In either case, whoever doesn't have Jesus is lost. Just because they have a lot of good things going on doesn't mean they're good with God. It's not a matter of going from good to better. It's a matter of going from wrong to right. If they're wrong, they're either on the wrong side of God or the right side of God. If they're on the wrong side of God, they're lost. Imagine this. Imagine a person is spending their entire life, whatever circumstances and situations they're going through in life, with the sole purpose of finding that connection to Jesus, and they never get it. And then they're going to spend an eternity never, having, never reaching it. That's what lost is. Those are the people that we're supposed to be reaching. If they're not good with God, they're lost. John Piper said this once. The goal of a Christian friendship is this. The goal of a Christian friendship is to help each other continue to believe in God. Continue to believe in God. Like all the friendships that you have here in Christ Fellowship, all the friendships you have with people that are believers, the main goal of that relationship is to help each other continue to believe in God. Because there's a world out there. The rest of this world is, to, is trying to convince you otherwise. Everything else in life is trying to convince you otherwise. And I'll extend it. I'll say this. I'll say the Christian, to the Christian, the relationships that you have with non-believers, meaning that family member, whoever it is, that doesn't believe in God. The goal of that relationship is to help them start believing in God. The goal of that relationship is to help them start believing in God because everything else in life is trying to convince them otherwise. Everything else is trying to convince them, don't believe in God. C.S. Lewis says this. Uh, he's, obviously, he's one of the most famous Christian writers in history. Um, you might have read uh, some of his books. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. The, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he, he wrote the book that was to that movie. And he said this once. There's a quote that I, I find very, very interesting. He says, hold on, let me find it. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization. These are, if you can put it up, that'd be great. Uh, nations, cultures, arts, civilization. These are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. In other words, all those things compared to life is nothing. But it is immortals whom we joke with, who we work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What, what, what C.S. Lewis is saying there is no one that you ever meet is just a mere mortal. Meaning, no one that you ever meet is just going to live here on earth, and that's it. Every single person you meet is going to live for eternity. Immortal um, horrors, meaning they're going to spend eternity in hell. Or everlasting splendors, meaning they're going to spend an eternity in heaven. But no one that you ever meet, like imagine if you look around the world with those lenses. You look around and you look at people and you realize that person's living forever. That person's living forever. That person's living forever. That person's living forever. Where are they going to live? See, the question you're supposed to be asking yourself is where are they going to spend eternal life? What decision has that person made about Jesus in their life. In the forefront of our minds, we're supposed to be asking us or thinking of all the time, heaven is real and so is hell. And the key question that we should ask is, how can I help this person get to heaven? 
Believer or not believer, how can I help this person? In every, in every relationship you have, in every person you come across, how can I help this person get to heaven? I think that's a hard question. I think that's where things get difficult. That's where things get real, because that's where you have to do something. Up until now, you didn't have to do anything. Once you ask that question, how can I help this person get to heaven? You have to get into action. You have to do something. That's where it gets embarrassing. That's where it gets awkward. That's where it gets difficult. That's where we get stuck. We really do. There are a few steps that I think can be really useful and really helpful. If you follow it, I think it gives you a good frame of what you should do. So I just want to talk about those few steps. And the first one is this. First, obviously, you build a relationship. If you want to reach a person, obviously, you have to invest personal time. You have to get to know that person. You might be thinking, oh, I know this coworker for years. Like, of course we're close. Of course we have a... Don't assume closeness. You have to put personal time into it. You have to get to know them, and they have to get to know you. Build a bond. Spend time together. Go outside and, and do something different. Go watch a movie. Go have lunch together. You know, invite them to a church event here in Christ Fellowship. Invite them to church on Sunday. Tell them your testimony. Tell them how you came to Christ. Tell them what you know about Jesus. Spend time with them. Invest. Pray for them. You can't believe how close you can get to someone when you pray for them. And you don't, have, you don't even have to be around them. You can't believe how much you start loving someone when you pray for them. And you don't even have to be near them. When you pray for someone, you're actually investing in that relationship. You're loving on that person. You're genuinely caring for that person. You're bringing Jesus into that relationship and that person doesn't even know it. When you pray for them. See, when you invest time and you get close to a person, you start sliding into that next step. And that next step is so crucial. That next step is knowing why they're lost. Once you build that relationship, you start getting into the next step of knowing why they're lost. See, a person is lost for one of three reasons. It could, be, it could be a mix of it, but usually it's one main reason. The first one could be not knowing the truth. The second one might be pain. The last one might be pride. So I want to break each one down a little bit just so you, so, so you understand what I mean. The first one, not knowing the truth, simply means not knowing the truth about Jesus Christ. That person just doesn't know who Jesus really is. They might have heard of Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. They might have heard of Jesus. They might have gone to church. They might have heard uh, sermons on Sundays plenty of times. They might have heard a lot of Christian music. But if they don't know who Jesus is, they're confused. They're lost. They might not understand the seriousness of their sin and the consequence of it. Why Jesus really came down to die. They might not really get where they stand with God at the present moment. Or in another way, sometimes a person doesn't come to, to God because they're tripped up over some questions that really make them struggle with believing in God. They might look at this life and look at the Christian worldview and they just be stuck on things. Like stuck on the pain in life. Stuck on not seeing heaven and hell. Stuck on how the world began. Stuck on all those different things, all those different questions. And if they're sincere questions, that might block them. Sometimes people cover it with that but it's not really the reason. But sincerely, if those are sincere questions, sometimes that keeps them from knowing who God is. They're lost because they don't know the answers, and your job is to give them the answers. I, I think of this, and I think of when uh, a few years back I was talking to a custodian in the school I was in. The custodian was actually Muslim, and he knew I was Christian, so we would have a lot of conversations. And honest, they, they were real conversations. They weren't like, I'm trying to convince you, you're trying to convince me. I'm sure in the bottom of his heart he was trying to. 
At the bottom of my heart, I'll be honest, I was trying to do. But it wasn't like I'm just trying to argue my way through this. We had real conversations. And one day he, he asked, he, he mentioned something in all sincerity with a sincere motive. He said, you know what I don't, I don't understand? If Jesus really died, because he didn't believe Jesus really died. If Jesus really died, why would he do that knowing that his people won't even believe him? And my response wasn't even to that part of people not believing, because honestly, he's right. The Jewish people around him, most of them didn't believe him. I'll tell you who did believe him is the disciples, and they're the ones that spread the gospel throughout the world. So that's all that really mattered. Like what had to, what had to happen, happened. But I didn't go that route. I didn't go that route of what he said to the back part. To be honest with you, the answer I gave him, I have to give God all the glory to. I know God gave me the answer. Because immediately as he asked this question, an answer built up in my heart, and I, I said it right away. And I said to him, for freedom. Jesus died for freedom. Every war worth fighting is fought for freedom. And his jaw immediately dropped. Immediately. I knew at that moment God did something. I'm not going to say he stopped believing in, in, in what he believes, and he got down on his knees and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But I know a seed was planted. See, you have to understand this. You got to understand this. To a Muslim, to a devout Muslim, there is no freedom. That's foreign to him. That's why his jaw dropped. He could not understand that idea. It was like a light bulb just went out, went on. He could not understand that because to a devout Muslim, it's all about following strict rules. It's all about doing the things that you're supposed to do in order to earn your way into heaven. On a daily basis, they have to do a list of things. And even if they do those things, they still don't know for sure they're going to heaven. There's no assurance of salvation as a Muslim. There is no freedom. That rocked his world for that moment. And a seed was planted. He had a sincere question. And thank God there was a sincere answer for him. And I don't know where he is right now. I don't, maybe, maybe nothing came out. I don't know. But I know something was planted there. And I know God does works after that with others. The second thing that might keep a person from believing in God, someone that keeps someone lost, is pain. So one thing could be not knowing the truth. The other one could be pain. Pain is obviously referring to hurtful things that have happened to a person in their life. You know, sometimes it could be pain from losing someone they love. Sometimes it could be pain from being hurt by people they love. Sometimes it can even be pain from people in church. And that's especially hard. Because if it's someone in church that hurt you, that person connects it and connects that pain to the church and blames God for it. Even though it's not the case, it was that person that hurt you. And they connected that way. So Eric Stanley is a close friend of mine. He's been coming to Christ Fellowship for about six years. And I spoke to him before this, so he gave me permission to talk a little bit about his story. So we met, I would say like 2006. Uh, back, we were in college. So we met and we became friends in class. And we started to hang out once in a while. Uh, we would go out and just, just hang out. And I started to talk to God about him. I mean, I'm sorry, started, I started to talk to him about God. And I started to figure out why he wasn't connected to God. Why was he lost? I, I learned really, really fast that he actually grew up in church. His church was like a family church. So everyone in his church was pretty much his family. And it was a big family, so it was a pretty big church. But everyone was basically connected in some way, related somehow. But he got really hurt in the church. He got really hurt. 
And so when he grew up, the moment he had the opportunity, he ran away. Like he, he went running. Trying to run away from the pain, he also ran away from God. And so we got connected, and after we graduated, we loosely stayed friends. We were still cool, but we didn't talk as much. Once in a blue moon, we'll hang out. But then one day I shoot him a text, and I just invite him to Christ Fellowship. I say, hey, why don't you come Sunday morning? And little did I know he was actually going through a really rough time. So he, to my amazement, he came. He came. And God is good, right? God knows exactly what he's doing. Because that morning, Pastor Femi was on his stage, and what was he preaching about? Forgiveness. Out of all things, preaching about forgiveness. Out of everything you can teach, teach on, forgiveness. God knew exactly what he was doing. And right then and there, God started chipping away at the hardness of his heart. He started softening that heart. Is that me? Sorry. He started softening his heart. He started working in him at that moment in the middle of that teaching. And I'm not going to say there were changes immediately. It took a process. It took time. But Eric kept on coming every single Sunday. He started coming from then on. And through that time, he started to grow closer and closer to God as God was healing him from the pain, as God was fixing all that up, as God was restoring his relationship with him. God was doing what he always does, the amazing thing, thing that he does, loving him the only way God knows how to love, the only way that, that, I'm sorry, in a way that only God can love, healing a heart. Sometimes it's pain that keeps people from God. Thank God in Eric's case, he's been following God. He's, a, he's not a fan of Jesus. He's a true disciple because God did his work. So it could be not knowing. It could be pain. And, and the third reason it could actually be is pride. So pride refers to an unwillingness to give up control of your own life. Now, you might say, Joel, all of the reasons might be tied into pride, right? I mean, anyone that doesn't accept Jesus, obviously, it's because of pride. And you have an argument there. But what I mean with pride is, I mean, like blatant defiance against God, just not wanting to give up your life to God. Like, there are some people that blatantly, no matter how much they know about God, they might know the whole gospel, they might know the whole story of Jesus, and they just don't want to give up their life to God. I can think of two people I've spoken to um, that, like, it was flat out pride. The first person just plainly told me, I don't want to change my life right now. I don't want to change my lifestyle. Like, who, who's heard that before? I, I don't want, like, they know, they know, they know and they know, they get it. They don't want to change their lifestyle. That's pride. There's another person that's mixed with pride, and I would have to say there's pain too, although pride is definitely a big part of it. But this person would just argue with me. Like, it would just turn into arguments. And in the beginning, me and my, like, my ignorance, I guess, I would try to convince them with more information and more knowledge and try to persuade them into believing in Jesus. But it was a waste of time because it wasn't that they didn't understand Arguing with them was a waste of time because they knew, they understood. Their problem was they were hurt and they were prideful and they didn't want to change their life. So I say this because it's important for you to get why the person that you're investing in, the person that you're trying to grow, I mean help grow with Christ, it's important to understand why they're lost, why they're disconnected from God. Once you start getting that answer, you know what scriptures to use from the Bible because you always want to use scripture. You know what to start praying about. You know what to start asking God to move in and do. You start to know, you start to learn what you need to move in, what you need to do. You start learning, okay, this person needs answers. I need to find real answers for their real questions. 
You start learning that this person just needs to be listened to. This person needs to gain trust, knowing that God is trustworthy. He's faithful. This person just needs prayer. This person just needs time. You know, the pride person, that person needs your example. That person needs your love. That person needs your patience. That person needs scripture that's speaking directly to pride. That person needs your love, even though they're telling you they don't want it. Even though they're pushing you back. All right, you keep your distance. You do it. But even in the background, you're still praying for that person. Why? Because at some point in life, that person's going to realize that they need God. Life has a funny way of doing that, right? At some point in life, they're going to realize, I need God. It might be in their deathbed. But at some point, they're going to realize they need God, and guess what? You're going to be there with patience, with love, with truth. You're going to be there with the correct the answer, that scripture that's going to pierce their heart, the truth that's going to reveal to them the need of Jesus. It could be one of those reasons why the person's not connected. And then finally, after you build that relationship, you invest in them, you start building that bond, you're praying for them, you find out why they're lost, you find out what it is that they need and you're investing in that, you're targeting that, you're focused on that, you do the final step, which is the end goal, right? It's the main objective right from the beginning. You connect them to the gospel. So you built a relationship, you've spoken to, to what's the, the, the barrier, you've confronted that barrier that's keeping them from Jesus, and then finally, you connect them to the gospel. So I want to just show you something that I think can illustrate this pretty well. It's called the bridge illustration. All right? uh, you can give bridge youth ministry credit for it. They didn't make it, but you can just give them credit for it anyway. So the bridge illustration, I think, paints the picture of, of what Jesus did really, really uh, clearly. Right? So it's so simple, you can actually just do it on a napkin. If you're in a, in, a, in a diner or at a restaurant, you can do a really simple drawing on a, on a, on a napkin and explain it as you do it. So I'm going to do it on this dry erase board. So in the beginning, God created everything, including us, people. So he created us, and God always existed. Always, right? He always existed. No, God wasn't created. And what God wanted, what he intended, was to have a relationship with people. God wanted to have a relationship with you, a close relationship, where you love him and he loves you. Where he loves you and you love him back. That's what he wanted. But there's a problem. A separation came in. And that separation is called sin. Sin keeps us apart from God. Sin is disobedience to God. It's everything that's wrong. Anything that's evil is jealousy, it's pride, it's lust, it's adultery, it's lying, it's stealing, it's killing. Or anything inside of your heart that's wrong. That's sin. And it separates you from God. Because God is perfect. He can't be near sin. Because he'll destroy it. He'll destroy sin. That's why he can't be close to, to sin because he'll just kill it. And since we're sinners, we die. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, it says, for the wage, no, I'm sorry, it says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single person is a sinner. Every single person is a sinner. And it also says the consequence of our sin is death. Now, this is the thing. We try to be good people, we try to do good things thinking that it's gonna go somewhere, but it's fleeting, it doesn't go anywhere. It falls short, so all of our efforts, as much as we're trying to reach God, fall short, and it ends in sin. But this is the thing, God loves us so much that he found a resolution to it. He found a solution to the problem. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. 
Jesus paid the price for our, our sins. He paid our penalty. We sinned, he, he paid the consequence. He took care of this problem, this gap. He filled in the gap. And now this is the thing. All we have to do, all we have to do is cross that bridge. There's nothing you can do in your own power. But all you have to do is accept. Listen, if you're on a real bridge, you didn't make that bridge. Let's say you're on, a, on this crazy mountain. I don't know. I, would, I don't know why you're up there to begin with. But I would never do it. But let's say you're in this mountain that has this, this bridge that gets you to another mountain. And below it is like a river thousands of feet below. Whatever. Some people like that. And you cross that bridge. Did you make it? No. But you just have to have faith that it's going to hold you and you have to cross. And in the same way, you didn't fix this problem. The only thing you can do is have faith that this solution is going to get you to God. It has nothing to do with your credit. It's all about what this bridge is doing, what Jesus did. It's all about your faith on this bridge. Jesus filled the gap. And now, through crossing that bridge, having faith in Jesus and what he did, you can actually be restored in your relationship with God. So that's what you want to explain to him. And after you do that, the only thing left is you pop the question. The most important question you can ask someone is not, will you marry me? You're going to pop the most important question. That one's an important one, but it's, it's a lot lower than the first one. The most important question is, do you want to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus? Do you want to have that relationship? They could either say yes or they could say no. If they say no, you've done your part. You keep praying for them. You pray for another opportunity to reach, reach them later on. But you've done your part. If they say yes, you rejoice. At that moment, you pray with them. You have to verbalize what the decision means. You have to verbalize what that decision means. And then you continue to spend time with them. Leading them, teaching them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You keep showing them what it means to live a life as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what you do. So before we close, I want to do a couple, a couple little things. The first one is this. As you think about everything we talked of this morning, as you think of you know, that, that importance of reaching out to people, you know, sharing the story of Jesus in your life with others, sharing your faith, I want you to think of the people that are around you, in your circle, in your life. Who's around you that maybe don't know Jesus? Who's someone that you can even ask God right now, God, show me who it is that I need to share Jesus with. Who is it? And then once you figure that out, once that answer comes to you, you probably have it already in your mind. Pray for that person. Start building a relationship with that person. Be deliberate in spending time with that person so that you can learn what is it that is keeping that person lost. What is it that's keeping them separated from God? And then finally, so you can connect them to the gospel. Think about that person, even now. And then I want one more thing. I want to do one more thing. Maybe this morning God's been tugging at your heart. Maybe... Maybe you don't know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe you don't know, or maybe you do. Maybe you flat out know, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity. And you feel God tugging at your heart in this morning. Because you know that's something you want to resolve. 
Listening to this, you realize God loves me and he did something to fix this problem. I want to take my step of faith and walk over that bridge. I'm going to ask you to take a, make a bold step right now, a step of faith, and I'm going to ask you to walk up here. If that's you, I want you to come up here and take this step of faith. Don't worry about who's around you. Don't worry about it. Listen, this is the most important decision you can make in your life. If you're not sure, if you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, right now is the, make it, is the time to make that choice, to make that decision, to be clear on that. Jesus died on a cross for your sins. All you have to do is cross it. All you have to do is walk over it. I just want to pray. I'm going to pray for, first I'm, I'm going to pray for you guys. Dear Lord, and if everyone else could just extend their hands. Dear Lord, you see this step of faith that they've taken? You see, my Lord, their heart, their desire? I pray that they understand the seriousness of their sins and the consequence of it. And I pray, God, that even now you start to work in their hearts. Start, Holy Spirit, start going into their hearts so that they may have the faith that is needed in Jesus to restore that relationship with you, God. I pray, God, that you do that so they can spend an eternity with you in heaven and you can start transforming their lives here on earth, bearing fruit for your glory. And now I want to say a prayer for you guys to repeat after me. So if you're up here, I just want you to repeat this. And again, this is just to verbalize the decision you're making right now in your heart. So just repeat after me. Dear God, I come before you knowing that I'm a sinner. Knowing that I need you. I understand that Jesus, you died for my sins. And that I can only know Father God through you, Jesus. So I pray that you come into my heart. That you become my Lord, my Savior, my King, so that I can spend, I can spend an eternity with God in heaven. Take control of my life and start changing my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say just one thing to you. Praise God. I want to say one thing to you. You made this decision. And just understand you made the most important decision in your life. You've changed your eternity. You might not feel it as you walk out, but you've changed your life forever. Forever. What I, what I ask of you is this. Start investing in your relationship with God. Start investing in your relationship with Jesus. Start learning about God. Be committed to learning about him. Be committed to allowing him to change your life. Be committed to teaching other people about your faith in Jesus. And you'll see the beautiful things that he does. You'll start. You'll start bearing fruit. You'll start seeing the things that he does inside of you. All right? God bless you. Thank you, everyone. Go and make disciples. Enjoy your Sunday.